A dance CEO thrives every day with focus on gratitude, growth, and feeling aligned. Unapologetically putting themselves first, striving to become their best self personally and professionally, creating their own definition of fulfillment and success, rejecting the starving artist mentality and competition mindset for one of abundance in all things, including the success of other dance business owners. Welcome to the Dance CEO Podcast. Hello, hello. This is Audra Allen, your host for the Dance CEO Podcast and this episode. So excited to have Josh Spell here. He is owner and therapist of Flexible Mind Counseling, and I'm excited to introduce him. He is passionate about mental health and working with dancers. He is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Washington and currently works in private practice in Seattle. Josh danced with both Kansas City Ballet and Pacific Northwest Ballet, where he performed roles such as a second sailor in Jerome Robbins' Fancy Free, Huck in George Ballantine's A Midsummer's Night's Dream, and featured roles in Yelly Killian's Sextanza and Petite Mort. <laughs> he has returned to the dance world as consulting therapist for PMB and works with professional dancers and students all over the country. He's centering dance from a holistic perspective and offering a wide variety of mental health tools. Josh leads various seminars on performance anxiety, perfectionism, body image, self-care and identity, and utilizes his former professional ballet career to inform his current approach. Thank you, Josh, and welcome. I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks so much for having me. You make me sound so like formal. <laughs> well, I just like, I mean, well, you I mean we want to give credit where credit's due. And I guess we're gonna dive right into the fact that we're gonna be talking about, you know, mental health and mindset and such. And you know, one of the things I've learned on my journey is especially dancers, we do not take credit for our accomplishments. And so I have no problem here celebrating you and what you've achieved to get where you are today. So I just want to let you sit in that and take that in because we don't normally hear it read to us. So <laughs> we don't spend a lot of time like that. That's my bio. So yeah. I appreciate that reminder. Mm. It has gotten easier since I have shifted from dancer to my new role. Yeah, same for me. So now that I'm not just in the dance world and I'm supporting others in the dance world and my, I'm helping others with their mindset, same, it's gotten easier. But in it, as that dancer, like it, we were, I was not given permission or I did not know I had the opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate my wins. I was only focused on the things I did not do well. So yeah, because yeah, that means you're working hard. If mm -hmm. you all of the things that you need to continue working on. Yeah, not the strength. So Let's not use our energy on that. Yes. And I know we did not plan on just diving into this, but here we are. Um, that just actually made me think of like, if I ever felt jealousy for someone else, you know, or someone else like, like owned theirs, like you're like, oh, look at them being full of themselves, not recognizing that was me having an insecurity and not recognizing my own willingness to embrace that. And just thinking back to how different my dance training would have been and how much happier I would have been in a place of be able to celebrate and focus on our positives and not just always getting that critique and the feedback on things we needed to improve on. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that is something that I hear across the boards, non-dancers and dancers, but I really think about my work in the dance world now and sort of looking at the structure piece mm -hmm. and, you know, things were a certain way, have been a certain way for so many years decades actually, maybe even centuries, that when we introduce shifts mm. or thinking about things in a different way, it often feels very wrong or it feels um, so foreign 
that we don't know what to do with ourselves. So this idea of being able to like rest in our accomplishments for a moment and acknowledge the work that we have put forth, it only helps the long-term, um, yeah, just effects yeah. of the yeah, I think also when we sit in those moments and acknowledge them, it actually kind of creates a benchmark. So like we can say, okay, well, if I'm not doing well, I can say, well, I at least know I made it to this point. And then you can come back and say, let me let me kind of revisit to this versus not checking any of your customers and feel like you're going back to square one. So I think that can help also the process on your journey. It's like, oh yeah, look how much, look how far I've gone. I'm making some hiccups right now, but I don't have to go back to the beginning. I can just restart at this area. So. You sound like a coach. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I do spend some time helping others in this process, but also because for myself first, right? It's something I've learned for myself and I want to support others to realize this and how they can approach their journey and their dance businesses in the dance world in such a more enjoyable way in life. So Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like that's a lot of the reason that individuals like us have gotten into the careers that we are yes. sort of post dancer. Yeah. Um, is kind of working through our own stuff and realizing um, the insights for ourselves, And then it's like, wait a second, I wanna share this with others. I wanna make their career or their experience, you know, that much lighter by just kind of giving more options. Yeah. Because it doesn't mean that we're gonna not have days where we struggle with recognizing sort yeah. of and the work that we've put in. Um, and that doesn't mean that we can't sort of, we're not capable of that. Right. Yeah, so true. And actually, now that makes me want to ask you, how did you land where you are today from being a professional dancer? Because it sounds like what you just shared with the post dancer and what you realized got you here, but I would love to hear more about that transition. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always interesting to reflect back on the shift that happened and also recognize um, who I was as a person when I was dancing, um, but also realizing that I'm not that different now. I just have a lot more skills. Mm. And I think that's really what um, led me into this transition to therapist is the lack of skills and the lack of resources available to me. And so, you know, I had lots of ups and downs um, as a dancer. And I think kind of the first maybe five years was kind of like the honeymoon phase in a way <laughs> where things kind of were just happening. I was also 19 when I got my first job. Mm. So very young. Um, I don't think I really understood the full weight of what it meant to have a job. Mm. And I was actually just talking to a friend last night about like, it wasn't, it didn't feel that challenging to get into PMB. It felt challenging once I got there. But as mm. I was saying that, I realized, I just don't think I understood what it meant to be sort of an independent adult where I had to pay my bills and I had to deal with what I was going to eat and I had to deal with downtime when I wasn't working. And anyway, there's a lot of um, components to being a dancer. It's not just what happens in the studio or on stage. 
Um, but no one was talking about that. Yeah. So that's all we trained for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. For it, yeah. Yeah. The training is not emphasizing that portion of life. Mm -hmm. And we'll probably talk more about how that's shifting, but yeah, I, how I got here, um, about midway through my career, I had a pretty serious injury. I tore my labrum. And so I ended mm -hmm. up having, um, hip surgery. And it was during that time that I became more aware of my mental health and also kind of simultaneously developed an eating disorder at that time, but didn't seem like it was a big deal because I was, you know, focused on recovering. And so I was just very strict with my food intake and how I viewed the rules around working out and food and all of those things. So that kind of was setting the tone a little bit for the work that I do with eating disorders. Um, but anyway, kind of got back to dancing and just really felt more and more pressure, um, more self-inflicted, I would say. Obviously there were things that were happening, you know, more globally, um, but I also was not necessarily understanding how I fit into the larger picture. And so a lot of um, my struggle was just in terms of the pressure that I put on myself mm. and I burned out. And mm. so after dancing about 10 years at PMB, I was just, I was done. And so I took a year off and I actually went to school for interior design, something very different than what I'm doing Still now. Creative. Still creative at that time though. That makes sense. And it's, interesting you say that because ironically I was like whoa I can't do this it is way too similar <laughs> to the subject subjective nature of dance and so it was like regardless of what I do someone is always going to have an opinion someone mm -hmm. is always going to say I'm not doing enough or I could have done something different here and that really just made me think like I don't see myself doing this so I got another opportunity going back to dance and that was at Kansas City Ballet. And so I was there for two more years, but very early on I realized, okay, uh, this mental health thing is real and it really affects my ability to perform in the studio and on stage. And so kind of behind the scenes, I was talking to um, just different, individuals who were involved in the ballet and um, some were donors, some were just patrons, but one of them was a psychotherapist and one of them was a lawyer who had an undergrad in psychology. So I was just kind of thinking about what are the different trajectories that I could take and I landed on social work because it wasn't as long of schooling. <laughs> so there was the undergrad, there was grad school, but I'm like, oh, I can do this in a really short time. That's really logical. It is, but it wasn't the full story at that time. Right. So I ended up, you know, doing a lot of um, training in terms of getting hours after I graduated, um, in terms of getting my licensure. I had to go through a very specific process. And so that was, I guess like three or four years post-graduation. Um, but 
in that time span, I realized kind of my interest and working in eating disorders was definitely something that I held dear to my heart. I also had experienced a lot of dancers struggling, not necessarily with eating disorders, but disordered eating, yeah. body image concerns. Obviously we are professional athletes and ballet is a very aesthetic sport. So I wish I um, could have just sort of slotted right into the ballet field post-graduation, but that wasn't necessarily available. And it wasn't until the pandemic that this opening in the dance world happened and really exploded. It was almost like it was cracked open. Yes, kind of I, yes. Yeah. I've been seeing the exact same thing. I've actually now had multiple clients who are mindset coaches in the dance world that I've worked with to help expand their business. And it all started when the pandemic hit. Ah, I love that, hearing that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, really, it took a pandemic to sort of crack this thing open? It took, I think, people being isolated in their homes and no longer masking anything going on in the communities where it was supported in a toxic environment, unfortunately. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm generalizing this, but culturally, right, that's kind of summing up that experience with the, the mental health that wasn't talked about. It was just commonplace. You just everyone had it, and then you, but maybe you didn't know, and then you just dealt with it. And I think the isolation factor when people started realizing they had um, started having choices. They started needing to choose to show up and take class virtually or not in their home. They started choosing how they're gonna spend their days and maybe started becoming more self-aware of how they were feeling, whether physically, burnt out, mentally, emotionally, all the things I think that started people's individual choices. Because what I'm seeing now is so many strong individuals in the dance world who are speaking up for themselves and becoming powerhouses and advocates for themselves and choosing how they're showing up for their dance careers, which was not how it was a few years ago. Oh, because I think you mentioned earlier, that was not part of the training. That yeah. was not part of the agreement. Yeah. And um, obviously we see that finding your voice and advocating mm -hmm. and, um, looking at alternative options for caring for the entire person, it's not necessarily hurting mm -hmm. a dancer. It's only making them mm -hmm. um, stronger in yeah. terms of what they deliver in the studio or on stage. Yeah. And I just had this thought, this is a first for me on this one, is I think I'm wondering if having the access to the virtual platform became a blank slate for everyone versus you are invited into preconceived structures of studio spaces right and so you, you have to you're stepping into what's already created and you need to adapt to that versus you going into the virtual space you're literally it's a blank canvas for you and how you want to show up and where, which is why so many unique businesses have started in the dance world and people are choosing a different career path for themselves with their dancing. Just totally. a random question I just ask myself. <laughs> well, but I, it makes sense because, you know, a lot of my experience at PMB, because I started my work as the consulting therapist in the summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. So we were in the thick of right. the pandemic. Um, summer programs were all virtual. So programming changed. There yeah. was not necessarily potted up class because you were not with another individual in your home and maybe variations was limited. And so the class selection 
was very, very different. And all of a sudden we had this space to fill. And that's how the program at PMB became so robust over the past three years was sort of that opening. And now it's sort of how do we continue the momentum and bring that into the curriculum, which is, is happening. And it is also a challenge to kind of continue the, um, the work, but also getting administrators to see how important it is to continue the work. Mm, yeah. I felt very fortunate here at PMB. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love that they've always been a leader in so many ways in the dance world. So now that they can be another reason to look to them to help guide and say, look, we're implementing this program. This is successful. We want this. And so that can be a good example for other companies, large and small, to look at and say, this is doable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that kind of acknowledging the insular nature of the dance world is important because um, it, I, I'm trying to think how to articulate this. There's not an openness for kind of outside professionals always. So a therapist that doesn't necessarily have any background in dance is going to be received very differently than someone who has had a career. So I have to acknowledge that because that is how I am literally here is there was a level of trust and there was a level of risk taken in sort of allowing me to come into PMB specifically mm -hmm. and do the things that I'm doing. So I have to acknowledge that. Yeah, and that's amazing. And um, that just, you know, going back to what I said a minute ago that I have had multiple clients now and I see even more that are mindset coaches now in different capacities and, the, and they're all, you know, they all have, they're all in the dance world already. And so we're just seeing the beginnings of some major changes in so many ways in the dance world moving forward, unfortunately, because of a pandemic, but the benefits that have come from that, you know, there are benefits that have come from that, which is good <laughs> versus yeah. returning. Um, I want to speak to what you just shared a minute ago about how you said there's been hard, um, it's been, it's been difficult convincing some of the administrators, right? Maybe not at PNB, but just in general, which I, I understand, I've seen that, right? Just trying to, some who, like, air quotes, old school, right? The more traditional, I'll go with the word traditional, the more traditional process of how things have been done until this point. Um, there's a lot who've clung to that. And a lot of them, I believe, have been doing it much longer than maybe the younger generations. And so there's reason for that. And I want to generalize that a little bit to where when I when the pandemic first hit and I was instantly starting to support all these dance business owners around the world. Um, it was so interesting to observe just even in the dialogue and the Facebook groups and stuff. I observed that those who were like we're speaking negatively being forced onto this virtual platform that they were not wanting to be there and they were you know, struggling with it and complaining about it and they viewed it as a hindrance versus like a new opportunity. Some I noticed that not, I don't have a percentage, but a good amount of those businesses did not make it. And a lot of the people who are like, you know what? Challenge accepted. Let's figure this out. How can we continue to serve our dancers? This is a new business platform structure, like this whole, like those, so many of them made it and even new businesses started during the pandemic right and so because they they adapted to this additional and saw this as a way to add and expand how they can share and support what they're doing with their their personal dance missions versus those who said this is a roadblock and we let's just wait till we get back in person 
And so that's interesting too, how that was also kind of put a filter in the process of how success has been for some and not for others based on how they chose to view what's happening at this time in the transition in the dance world. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that really at PMB, um, just sort of like, okay, like we're going to just go with what is happening because if we just sit and um, kind of become passive, then we are probably going to get passed by because there are individuals who are literally kind of just looking at the learning in this really difficult mm -hmm. uh, pandemic mm -hmm. and find different opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, I also started a business during the pandemic, my private practice mm -hmm. and my consulting work. I mean, that was literally, um, like I dove fully in, I had already kind of done prep work and was doing things here and there. But um, I think like what you're mentioning, we saw all of the possibilities like Zoom and doing individual therapy over mm -hmm. a virtual platform, which that wasn't happening before, kind of this idea of telehealth. So we're definitely taking that away inside and outside of the ballet world for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that I mean, my whole business is virtual and always has been. I was doing virtual for a year and a half before the pandemic. And so, I mean, I, I chose to be here beforehand, so it wasn't a challenge I had to face. I just got to support others and figure out how to let that be a benefit for them. But yeah, when I realized I have, I'm able to connect with you, Josh, because we met on Instagram. We're like, let's hop on a Zoom call. And like, all the, my network is literally worldwide now because I've chosen to embrace the virtual platform. And I'm so grateful for how expanded my, my world has become in the dance world because of it and those who have gotten to know. Um, I want to talk, I want to dive a little bit more into you starting your business since you brought that up. But I'm curious, have you, did you have any support or what was that like with opening up your business? Yeah, so I actually work with a business coach as well. And she, for the business coaches. <laughs> she was not a dancer and does not have a dancer's background, which, you know, obviously that comes with its perks. Okay, um, there's not many of us yet, but we're, we're starting to expand ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I just find having an individual who understands all of the steps involved and who can give you a different perspective into things that maybe I wasn't seeing, right? I mean, I went to school, but I didn't go to school for opening a business. I had no idea what that's about, getting business licenses and, um, you know, all of the different um, UBI numbers and NPI numbers and all those things. And so, um, before I actually kind of dove in, I was already um, meeting with this individual. And so kind of just putting out my, my vision. Um, and I think that she probably would have liked to have a little bit more prep time. But I remember <laughs> maybe March is when we started working together of 2021. And then in April, I was like, all right, I just quit my job, we have until June 1st to, <laughs> to get everything in place. And it really wasn't that quick of a turnaround because I, I took the summer off and I really gave myself 
space in terms of making a um, website and you know having all of those types of infrastructures in place but i had no idea what i was doing in so many regards and you know i think having someone that constantly tells me josh you are the COO and the CFO and the um what else marketing mm -hmm. individual you're, you're and all the things and admin and yeah all of that it's like oh you're right that's why this feels overwhelming at times mm -hmm. yes so. that's awesome I love that you were able to get a coach in your corner right away um i did not i did not go to school for business never thought i'd have one it was not in my purview and um my my education for business was google like i literally started with how do i get a business license in louisiana and went from there ask a question put it in get the answer apply repeat and uh, there's nothing wrong with either approach but definitely i'm sure as you experienced having someone who's already been there in your corner the process is done so much faster because you're not having to reinvent the wheel and um i didn't get my first business coach until about a year and a half almost two years into my business and the main thing i had to overcome was the mindset about that and like how scary it was investing money into a coach which at that time it was fifteen hundred dollars which was so much to my scarcity mindset for that. But wow. now I'm like investing way more than that when I'm investing in a coach because I've been leveling up in the quality I need. But um, there's some serious setbacks, especially for dancer mindset. Though there's just like, you know, in the arts, right? You know, it's a passion, but there's no money involved. And how could we spend money on a business coach? We don't have money. Like, there's just so much. So was, did you experience any of that? Was that a challenge for you? Or were you like, I'm good? And you were ready at that point to invest in a coach? Um, you know, I, I think that it was kind of just something that I felt like I had to do. And because I had another job at that point, it didn't feel quite as risky or quite as scary. Mm. Um, but I think that kind of the mindset of not fully understanding kind of the cost benefit mm -hmm. um, that was definitely something that I work with my clients on kind of in a mental yeah. health capacity but also looking at sort of the investment and again like I did not have business skills to understand that yeah you're going to put a chunk of money forward but the idea is that's going to allow you to grow and expand mm -hmm. that's the investment piece of it um, so again, like, yeah, that is really scary, mm -hmm. especially when I don't know about you and your clients, but I think back to my experience as a dancer and not once did I negotiate the cost of my contract or mm -hmm. what I was getting compensated. It was just like, this is what you are expected to make. And that's the final word. That's how it felt to me. And so I think kind of learning from the other side is this kind of give and take mm -hmm. is so important and being able to just talk through some of those fears mm. or just the utility of 
paying $1,500, for example. Mm -hmm. um, that was really helpful to just kind of talk through the why yeah. and kind of what that looked like long-term. Yes. And one of the things that I long-term goal for me, like a big vision is to help normalize business knowledge in our dance training process, because we are all our individual businesses, regardless of we thought about it like that, and especially, you know, dancers, right? You're supposed to go out, market yourself, put yourself in front of people and promote your, like you said, all the hats without knowledge that you're doing that. And I was just thinking right now that we already were investing so much in ourselves, right? We understood the investing in the equipment and the master classes and all those extra things we spent and justified investing in ourselves. We already normalized that, but it was never spoken to us in the form of this is what you're doing. So again, bringing basic business knowledge into what your dance training is and just saying, hey, investing in yourself is how you're improving your dance training, getting in front of the right teachers, you know, going to the summer programs, that's all investment. And then just translating that into, okay, I wanna continue investing in myself as I become an adult and achieve these different goals. Who do I turn to and invest into those people and programs to help me achieve my goals? If I had had that dialogue growing up, I would have had no problem putting that money down and been like, got it. Next goal, next profession, let's go. Cause then like the, the cost of the, the ROI, the return of investment, right? So like we, we are new, if you went to that summer program and you you danced 1200 hours a day for, you know, six weeks, you came back and how much further along were you in your training and your experience to move you further? Like we got it, the return of investment was there. And that applies to all areas of our lives, not just in dance, but mental health, investing in a therapist if you need to go that route, or you know, go to a doctor and be on medication if that's what needs to happen, right? Whatever, you know, physical therapy, pursuing a new career or a side job, or just learning a new craft, return of investment, you spend energy and time on that so you can better yourself. And that applies to even starting a business and growing your business. Totally. Yeah, that's so helpful to hear and kind of the way that you're um, conceptualizing marketing yourself, mm -hmm. kind of what that looks like long term and into the future, how mm -hmm. when you start that mentality early on, it's almost just part of the career or mm -hmm. part of the experience that you have, which I'm imagining can help in transitions or in mm -hmm. uh, kind of moving into other directions yeah i think i mean right now now i'm thinking i mean we should all just have this basic knowledge in every aspect of growing up right regardless if you're in dance or anything because we all are going to be some somehow business minded in some capacity as adults be so helpful it's time to take a quick break I want to share with you about a new resource that will help you to finally start to live your life how you've been wanting to live, but you haven't been able to figure it out yet on your own. One that will allow you to no longer feel guilt if you have to sacrifice time in your personal life or sacrifice time in your professional life. This new opportunity will allow you to do it in a way that lets you feel aligned and that you feel balanced and that both areas not only are just barely surviving, but now you are thriving and you are finally accomplishing what you've been dreaming of, which is enjoying all those areas of your life with no more sacrifice. I'm talking about the Dance CO University. This new group coaching program is designed for established dance business owners, anyone who has a business that's been running for at least a year. And I define a dance business as one that serves the dance world in any capacity. This program 
is for six months and is only limited to six people so you get the full attention one-on-one -on -one for me and from the group so you no longer are feeling like you're just a face on the screen but truly seen by me and the others if this at all sounds interesting to you you can go to my instagram account the dance ceo coach and go to the link there for more information or you can go to the dance ceo coach.com slash dance-ceo-university to learn more and secure your place because we start at the end of January and I don't want you to go another year wishing things have been different when you can do something about it now. Now let's get back to the episode. Let's dive a little bit more into your running your business. I'm curious, what is a strength that you have with running your business now that you are at this point, you've had it for this long and you feel that it's something that comes easier to you or that you are good at with running your business? Yeah, I think that I am very detail oriented mm. and detail focused. So I um, kind of have this ability to see kind of all of the moving parts simultaneously. And so I would say that, you know, like networking and um, kind of communicating are really strong suits for me. Um, obviously I have learned that over the years. Right. Because that was not, obviously the detail oriented aspect that that applied as a dancer but the communication and kind of learning how to be effective in communication which includes setting boundaries which includes closing the laptop at a certain time of day amen um, you know, <laughs> i think that i'm getting better at that but i guess you asked me a strength <laughs> yeah because i did i was going to ask what something you feel is a challenge running your business and sounds like we started going there <laughs> again isn't that an interesting dynamic how it's easier to talk about the things that we are working on Mm -hmm. And I caught myself. <laughs> yes, you did, which is which is a good skill to be developing. Yeah, so, but I think again, like just being able to communicate why the work that I am doing is so important mm -hmm. and be able to reach sort of a wide array of audience members. Um, I think that that's definitely helpful. And the fact that, you know, I I'm motivated. And so working for myself, yeah, there are days obviously <laughs> when I'm like, okay, I would rather just watch a Netflix show, you know, if I have an, an hour off instead of emailing other individuals to talk about future projects or mm -hmm. things like that. Um, but I would say that I'm pretty on top of a lot of the moving parts. And so, yes, my ability to kind of just see that larger picture and then kind of um, turn those ideas into realities. I love it. That's such a good place to be, especially when you're wearing all the hats. The fact you can see all, all the positions happening is very helpful. Um, I actually just watch Netflix while I'm doing the email. I've, I've, I've learned to embrace the fact that I have that freedom to do so. So if I'm like, oh, it's email time. Let me go hop in bed and watch like Gilmore Girls while I'm doing email or something for an hour. I've embraced that as part of my work process. <laughs> I'm totally here for it. Yes. Knowing what works for yourself. Mm -hmm. I would be yeah. 
So I need, I need a very kind of like carved out time frame. Mm -hmm. So doesn't mean I can't watch Gilmore right. Girls between. <laughs> right. Yeah. I found I, I've definitely discovered like what I like to overlap that I'm like, oh, okay. Like I can have this going, right. Something I'm like, but I can enjoy this part of the freedom I desire in having my own business. Like, okay. So that's something I I've learned to really enjoy, but so would you say that like boundary setting is a challenge that you're working on right now in your business then, or is there something else that comes to mind that's something you feel is a bigger challenge for you at this time? Um, I think boundary setting in general <laughs> has been very difficult for me because I didn't, I don't think I realized it was so difficult, but when I finally kind of understood the utility of boundaries and sort of the resourcefulness and the sustainability that um, setting a boundary achieved, mm. um, that's when I started recognizing oh, I give a lot of myself to others in terms of, you know, not charging for just a random phone call that might come up or, you know, taking a lot of time to do some research and kind of just not fully acknowledging that that is also work because mm -hmm. it was something that I really enjoyed and was passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so... I would say that setting boundaries is a continued um, work in progress, but where I am now, I think it's a big improvement. So if I think about something that maybe is more of a struggle, I mean, I guess it does have to do with boundaries still, and that's taking on what feels doable versus always stretching myself to a point of, I know I can do it, but I might feel depleted once I do all of those 10 things that everyone has asked me to do. So that's, that's been sort of a learning curve is kind of recognizing while I am able to do it and capable of doing it, the long-term effects have um, maybe a little bit more implications for me. So I'm trying to be realistic with how much I can take on. And again, finding the work-life balance, I would say. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously, <laughs> that, can go, that can go into many other- Right, <laughs> yes. And there's always different things that are challenged, you know, that shift based on what season you're on. Um, I think that boundaries, again, was a dialogue that didn't happen in our training. And we were just there, you know, like we need to be grateful. My experience was we needed to be grateful for being in there and utilizing the instructor's time or whatever we had. So you, you just did what you, the people pleasing, I think, was very much a part of mine. But granted, I also have ADHD and that's also a common symptom is like drastic people pleasing. So I don't know where that is versus like the normal experience for dancers versus what mine was <laughs> or is. Um, I think you're on to something, though, because if you just think about the dynamic of teacher-student, nothing is off limits. I can comment on your body. I can comment yeah. on your time. I can comment on um, just basically anything that you do in my presence. Mm. And it's sort of just, it felt like an invitation for that. So kind of thinking about just those experiences and then all of a sudden 
realizing, wait a second, maybe that's not okay with me for yep. someone to tell me that I look a certain way or, yep. you know, anyway, so. Yeah. And like, I think tying this into business is boundary of time, like you've said a minute ago. Um, Cause you know, I gave all my time to dance, you know, what free moment I had was dance training at home or missing out on social functions to be there. Cause I wanted to show that commitment and I wanted to be there. So as a business owner, it's taken me some time to learn boundaries with my time and realizing that being on 24 seven only hurts me and the people I'm meant to serve because I need to be for myself first and then I can show up fully for others. And um, I remember being available 24 seven when the pandemic hit. I wanted to help everyone around the world and they were on different time zones. So I said yes to 4 a.m. meetings for people in Australia. And I said yes to the 1 a.m. meeting for some, like I did not understand that I was then hurting them and me because I was so tired showing up. I wasn't able to show up fully. And so when I got to the point where I was like, I don't like being on 24 seven, like I need time for me. And now one of the things I hold dearly, you know, people who listen to this, if they follow me at all, they've heard this before, which is I delete all social media apps Saturday night. I do not reinstall them until Monday morning. And I don't spend any time on my phone on Sundays and I don't do any work or anything. And I feel so good. I never feel burnt out from social media or screen time because I know every single week I have a full dedicated day to completely detox from or step away from screen, from social media, being present for other people. And I'm just serving myself and my loved ones. And I feel so recharged on Mondays and I love it. And I've been doing that for about two years now and I will never stop preaching about that because it's just I, amazing. I feel like I can benefit from that because <laughs> I just deleted my social media apps uh, this week because I was like, I feel like I'm just spending too much time like scrolling through things and I'm not necessarily using it to kind of further my business. Mm, right. um, so I'm gonna take that into consideration. Yeah, because I mean, I will always be on social media. My, my main business platform has always been on Instagram and I've chosen that and I enjoy it, but also I need to take a break just as much as the next person. And I don't feel that I have the luxury to take like a whole month off from social media because I've chosen that to be my business platform. Plus, I don't want to. I like it. But <laughs> so, yeah, finding that balance or weekly and, and like the sometimes when I choose not to do that. I regret it because on Monday, I don't feel like I've rested and taken that break. And I'm like, I'm just now going two weeks of being on versus I had that stop in the middle. So I really do value Saturday nights, bedtime, delete, delete, delete. And then nothing's installed until Monday. And I have to delete it because I don't have the self-control. I've done the whole like remove it from like your home screen. And then like, it's a, no, no, no. Nope. <laughs> I have to remove them from my phone. We're getting at that idea of finding the things that work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah boundary setting is so integral for any human, right. but especially a business owner. Mm -hmm. And I remember my business coach saying that, you know, if your mentality is still kind of stuck in, I can do everything, it doesn't matter who your boss is. Mm -hmm. Your boss can be yourself and you're still going to feel burnt out. Mm -hmm. And that was just such an aha because I can't wait for someone to build in that infrastructure of boundaries for me. And I think working for other um, businesses or other individuals who um, kind of organize that for, for others 
that's built in, but I was always kind of just, oh, well, I'm going to do more because I don't see what's wrong with that. And I remember another supervisor at a mental health um, outpatient treatment center saying like, Josh, all you need is like an A minus. And I was horrified that she would say that because I'm like, but I want to go above and beyond. I want, you know, that A plus plus. And it wasn't until later that I realized my feelings of being insulted had to do with my lack of boundaries. Yeah. And that's such a, I mean, I feel like this ties into mental health. Like I not recognizing they were connected because I didn't understand boundaries. You know, I was not happy. I was people pleasing all over the place. I was saying yes when I, cause I was too afraid to say no, fear of rejection or being looked down on. Or, you know, or like, I might miss an opportunity. Like, how am I never get this opportunity again, right? The scarcity mindset. And like having that time to actually start creating boundaries are meant for me to create a safe container for me to be in. And then I allow what, who comes into that space and when and how. It's not to force people out, it's to create a safe space for me to be in. And when I understood that, I was like, okay, cause I don't even have a safe space. I just have like, you know, like a cave if I'm like lucky, right? Cave, right? Like I need to like create a space I want to be in and I know when I'm gonna be in there and it's always present for me. And then I'm allowed to invite others in when and how I say so and that space will always be safe. And that shifted my mentality in so many ways allowed me to start viewing other things in a healthier manner. It shifted me from an unhealthy mindset to a much healthier one in so many different areas of my life too. Uh, I love that you are kind of just highlighting this aspect of yourself because I'm imagining just how that benefits all of the clients that you work mm. with. And, you know, I often hear dancers say to me, um, like, it was so helpful when you explained what a boundary was. Like, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that since we had that, like, literal random conversation. Mm-hmm. And so it's just interesting how our example um, as business owners really do influence and trickle down mm-hmm. with our clients. And I think that that's such an important um idea to note kind of when you're starting a business is it feels like we have to say yes Mm -hmm. to everything because like you said there's the scarcity mindset but there's also the reality of like this is my livelihood and so therefore if I want this to work I need to be on at all times Mm. and I think what both of us can say since we've been in this for a while is yeah, maybe that's the feeling, mm-hmm. but the reality of the situation and um, kind of the way that this benefits all parties involved um, is far more uh, valuable yes. than just agreeing to do everything. Yeah. And I was just actually reflecting on some of my clients now that you said that. And like one of the first things I introduce is like, you can always reach out to me and when I'm available, I will respond, right? Like that's the dialogue we have. And like, you can message me on Sunday. I don't mind. You're like, you know, I'm not available, but my job is to show up when I am available. So if you're available, then message me and I'll get back to you. And so starting to understand like how that goes both ways. 
and like like they'll apologize i'm so sorry i messaged you on sunday i'm like we're good like i didn't get it on sunday because i chose not to get it on sunday like i'm okay so just don't understand how that goes both ways and then respecting that i love that yeah I would, you know, these are things I'm doing this now to help others because these are things that have been so powerful for me growing up, right? And in my professional career. So I'm glad that we can share that with others and help do that shift that we're seeing already happening in the dance world. I want to dive now because I do feel that what we're talking about is impactful. And we're discussing how we're living this. So let's take it into a day-to-day -day process because, you know, everyone shows up differently in their lives and businesses. And so do you have a morning and or nighttime routine? And if so, what does that look like for you? Yes, I have a lot of routines. And um, I think that in part is probably from my experience as a dancer. You know, we have a lot of just um, activities mm -hmm support our physical bodies mm -hmm. and then as we expand our knowledge to sort of more holistic care there are just more things and right. so you know in the morning i like to either go for a swim or go for a walk or i do some stretches and pt exercises for my old back um, i like to do grounding exercises so that could be a meditation or kind of just checking in with my body, what's happening emotionally, what sensations are present. So that's something that I really um, like to do. Again, that can become sort of a chore if I'm trying to do it every single day, because what I've realized is when I feel good, then I wanna just keep doing those things. Yes. But that can become overwhelming mm -hmm. if we don't have rest days for that type of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So so I usually try to do um, some sort of movement activity and uh, mindfulness activity at least probably, I don't know, three to five times a week. And that really sets up my container mm -hmm. and helps me to make sure that I have the proper boundaries in place to work with individuals. And then I start my day, usually seeing private practice clients. Um, yeah, I think you just asked me about my morning. Okay, I love it. Actually, I was curious to know what else happened. So I love it, keep talking. Keep talking about how, what, what your day looks like. This is great. Yeah, so I will work and do kind of direct client care. Um, obviously, after each of those, I have documentation, and that's for insurance purposes or just, um, again, to kind of keep track of the work that we're doing. It gives a nice um, roadmap. Uh, then I will answer emails and do networking. Sometimes I have phone calls. Sometimes I'm setting up if I'm going to do a group seminar sometimes. Then in the afternoons, I will do some group seminars. Um, I do have clients until about six o'clock. Um, and then I sometimes go to other studios, not just Pacific Northwest Ballet, um, but kind of doing more of the mental wellness seminars, talking more to groups. And then I still do some Zoom calls with um, dance schools nationally. So it's a lot of different, um, yeah, a lot of different things. And I really like having a uh, variety because I think just seeing clients one-on-one -on -one for me mm -hmm. um, could get overwhelming. 
Um, yeah, I just feel like I have a nice balance of what I'm doing. Um, and then sometimes I'll do kind of more like uh, continued education work. Mm -hmm. So maybe consultation with other therapists. So that kind of keeps all of the machine well oiled. Yep. Just like as a dance educator, you need to keep working on honing your teaching abilities, just like enhancing your skill sets as a business owner, like so important to keep that going. I love this. Uh, this is actually the reason why I started my podcast. I had multiple reasons, but one was I want to continue the network and dialogue. And I was having these great Zoom calls off the record, like you and I talked. I was like, I need to start sharing these. Like we're having such amazing conversations. And so it's like, it's time this podcast is happening and it's satisfying to me in another component in my business. So yes, it's good to have you. Right? <laughs> Thanks. Me too. I'm excited. I'm on this journey with it. Uh, well, let's wrap out your day. Do you do anything specific at night? Do you have a nighttime routine? I know this isn't as common for people, but I'm curious if you have one or not. Um, you know, at night, I know for myself that I'm less likely to go and exercise. Um, <laughs> right, same. My brain is tired. Mm -hmm. And so it's more of the act of disconnecting. So that's like literally closing my mm -hmm. laptop or making sure that I leave it down in my office um, before I go upstairs to mm -hmm. the rest of my living. Um, I have a nice dinner. Um, and then my routine is, yeah, brushing my teeth, um, maybe reading an article before I go to bed, but I go to bed pretty early so I can then start again. <laughs> So I think I still, I have more of a ritual in the, in the morning mm -hmm. time. And that's really what I had just known, learned to know about myself. Yeah. Which is great. Um, my brain definitely functions at night. I want to, like, I do function, like I do my morning routine and I work during the day, but if I had my, when I didn't have little humans or anything like that, I would be like up until two o'clock in the morning working, which is actually common for people with ADHD because it's, there's less. Um, stimulation from noise and environment. So my brain like 9 p.m. is like, let's go. But I'm like, no, we're winding down. So one of the things I like to do before I go to bed is I like to read and it needs to be a paper book because I don't want to like, I'm done. Like my brain needs to stop looking at screens. And yes. so I, I'll spend like 20 to 30 minutes reading every night. And I love that. That's a good way for me to mentally wire down and all of that. So, well, thank you for sharing your day. I love hearing the different ways we approach it and remembering that there's no one way to live your life, run a business, all the things. Yeah, and you find things that work for yep. you individually. Mm -hmm. um, what is something you wish you did more often to help your business grow? Is there something you wish that there was an area that you don't quite spend enough time in that you wish you did? I think it's gotta be marketing and mm -hmm. social media. And I, I think I just have a lot of insecurity around mm -hmm. sharing so personally Mm. And I also kind of sometimes get overwhelmed with the different hats that I wear. And mm -hmm. being a therapist um, is different than kind of being a consultant. Mm -hmm. So for me, I haven't quite figured out that balance of how that works. And I know there are tons of therapists on social media that are sharing different aspects of their life. Um, but I guess right now it's working for me in the capacity that I am sort of approaching the marketing. Um, but I, I think that 
I guess I would like for others to know the work that I'm doing. And I have so many uh, different talks and topics and just presentations that I could put little snippets um, on social media. And that really would not take a lot because it's already done. <laughs> but there's something that I'm still kind of working through there. And it doesn't mean that it has to happen. Right. But I do know a lot of successful business owners who really do rely on Instagram, like you're sharing. And I have several other friends who, you know, have a wide variety of mm -hmm. businesses. Um, yeah. But yeah. And there's well, just so many different ways you can market. And like you said, what you're doing is working. And, you know, I think any form of marketing is you know pandora's box you open right because once you go that route you're, especially social media like once you like hey this is how i'm choosing to show up like you're going there you've committed so if you need to be clear and speaking this generally right now i'm not coaching you josh this is just a general thing to think about for those of listening <laughs> um is you need to be clear on your intention for deciding to go that route what your end goal is and if it's something you are excited about because that needs to be sustainable and if you're like i love that you recognize you're like there's something there and like the like hold on to that and work like respect that versus putting yourself in a space you don't want to because then resentment shows up yes and that's not enjoyable for anybody and that's not sustainable so if it's not social media for you at this time in your life that is totally okay there's other options so as someone who loves social media, I'm giving, I'm giving you permission to say, it's okay that you don't want to do social media. <laughs> it's so helpful. Thank you for saying that and giving me that perspective. Yes. There's so many different ways you can do your business. It's okay. Okay. Done. I didn't mean to step there with that, but yeah, that was also just for those who are listening in case they needed that insight as well. Well, yeah, we all have yeah. um, areas that mm -hmm. you're not as uh, suited for, I right. guess. Yep. Yes. Very true. <laughs> um, okay. I have really enjoyed today and I want to finish this out with just a few more things to know more about you personally. Is there any, like, where can, where can the listeners find you? Like, where can they connect with you and consume all that you share? Probably not social media, but it sounds like you have a website. <laughs> I do. Yes. So flexiblemindcounseling.org um, is my website just for my private practice, but for my um, consulting work. And then I do have a media page that has like several different presentations that I've done, um, different articles that I've been interviewed for, podcasts that I've been on. So you can really get a taste of the kind of work that I do. I love that. That's great. I'm going to check more into it. That's fantastic. And last but not least, what does it mean to you to be the CEO of your life and dance business? Hmm. I think the words that come to mind are freedom, flexibility, and passion. Mm. And um, I think they all are kind of interwoven mm -hmm. and um, interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so I think that having the freedom to imagine what is possible and not have someone saying no um, and kind of kind of keeping you just in a place of, I don't know, not stagnation, but there I felt kind of working for others that 
I was spending more time kind of appeasing what other people wanted mm. versus being able to really just imagine the possibilities for myself. And I think working for my own business and being the CEO has just given me that realization of this can go as far as you choose to go. Mm -hmm. And I think I love having the flexibility, right? Because for me, I am a very rigid, over-controlled individual, which is partly due to the ballet world, but it's also partly due to just my own temperament and who I am as an individual. And so I think having a little bit more of choice and going back to the freedom gives me permission to be more flexible. And in that flexibility, I often discover things that I didn't necessarily know were possible or um, didn't necessarily know how to achieve or how to work towards a goal. <laughs> and then that last piece, the passion, sort of infuses all of those areas because if you're not passionate about what you're doing, it feels like work and mm -hmm. it feels like a job. And I think um, this quote is from Gary Zukoff, I think is his name. And he wrote this book, uh, The Seed of the Soul. Mm. He talks about like when your passion kind of merges with um, kind of what you're doing on this earth, it no longer feels like a job. Mm. It feels more like just what you're here to serve or what you're here to um, just give. And I think that that is so helpful for me just to recognize that, um, yeah, I'm doing this because I want other people to feel kind of the possibilities that I have experienced and felt myself. It was beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy having you today. Thank you, Audra. Thanks for inviting me and thank you for all of your great work. And yeah, yeah I can just see how awesome you are at what you do. <laughs> thank you. I think we're going to be having you back on next season already. I can tell we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah, this is just the beginning. Really. I know, I feel like we have a lot for both of us moving forward. Thank you so much for joining Josh and I today on this episode of the Dance CEO podcast. If you are at all interested in experiencing the types of transformations that Josh and I talked about both for us personally and professionally, then really I do encourage you to check out the Dance CEO University. This is exactly the type of program that will support you in that process and recognize you where you are and get you to where you know you can become with sustainable skills in a way that feels aligned, actually gives you more energy and more importantly, your life back. Go ahead and check out the danceceocoach.com slash dance-ceo-university or go to my Instagram page at the dance ceo coach and check out the link in my bio. 